Well, good morning, Northwestern. I can kind of see you. This light is really bright today. I think there's people out there. There we go. Um, it's good to see you. It's good to be with you. If we have not met at this, by this point in the year, my name is Dayton, and I help out with worship and chapel here at Northwestern. Um, in fact, uh, I've been working with Darren so long that we inadvertently uh, dress as twins sometimes. So we're kind of like the photo negative of each other today. He's wearing a black sweatshirt and green pants, and I've got kind of the opposite thing going on. So we're really, um, you know, we're really hitting our stride together. Um, I am married. I have three children. Um, our lives are busy. And so I don't actually end up with a lot of time uh, to myself. Um, every once in a while, I'll, uh, I'll, be, I'll have like an evening, uh, an evening free to myself. And so when I do, I don't often have time, but when I do, I've been watching this show on Netflix called Magic for Humans. And I just stumbled upon this. And I've always kind of been fascinated by um, magic and magicians and illusions and like, how do they actually pull that off? And this guy does some crazy, crazy stuff. Um, <clears throat> I could give you all kinds of examples, but um, after a few episodes, like I'll watch a couple in a row, and after a few episodes, there's a fatigue factor that sets in because as a human being, I wanna know I want to know how he does it. Like, I want to know how this actually works. Because I'm amazed, but I know that it's not like actually magic, right? I know it's an illusion. And so after, I, I actually kind of, I have to pace myself a little bit. I can only take so much because at a certain point, he's just kind of showing off, right? Like, it's just like, hey, look what I can do. I can do this, this thing but a good magician never reveals his secrets, so there's not really any payoff. There's no like epiphany of like, oh, okay, now I get it. Why am I talking about that? We'll get to that in a second. Um, our chapel theme for this year is and has been Thy Kingdom Come, the mission and the movement of Jesus. And that kind of divides itself into those two uh, broader categories, the two broader points. So up to this point in the year, we've been focusing on the mission of Jesus, him outlining why he's here, what he's here to do, the kingdom breaking through. And now we pivot a bit and start looking at the movement of Jesus, his actions, how he lived and worked that mission out through his life and ministry. And if you walk through uh, the book of Matthew and, and any of the other gospels as well, we're hanging out in Matthew for the year. One of the primary ways that Jesus walked out his kingdom mission in real time was his miracles, his miraculous acts and interventions uh, on behalf of people, people in need. And it left people literally in awe and probably asking, Man, how did he do that? People did ask him. People asked him how he did that. People asked him what his authority was for the signs and the wonders and the miraculous things that he was doing. And I think that there can be, if, if you've uh, been a follower of Jesus for a long time and if you've heard these stories, uh, a lot of times there can be a little bit of a fatigue factor that sets in in a similar way, uh, at least for me, if I'm being honest, where it's like, okay, uh, miracles, like, cool. Like, Jesus did another miracle. That's great. 
And it can kind of get to that same point where it's like he's just kind of doing magic tricks. He's just kind of showing off his power and that's, that's about the extent of it. And so that's the question. Is Jesus just showing off or is there perhaps a deeper purpose and significance to the miraculous acts that he performed? And so I want to zoom in this morning on three specific miracles that are um, examples of broader categories uh, and, and miracles that he worked. Um, and look at some context of why Jesus acted the way he did, why he chose the specific, specific miracles that he did. So we're going we're gonna to cover three. Jesus calming the storm, Matthew 8. Jesus healing a man with a withered hand, Matthew 12. And Jesus feeding the 5,000 plus in Matthew 14. So let's start with Jesus calming the storm, right? We all know this story. We've uh, heard about it in Sunday school since you we were little, um, if you grew up in the, in the church. So uh, Jesus and his disciples get in a boat. They're going across the lake. The storm comes, the storm blows up out of nowhere. The disciples are freaking out because they think they're going to die. Jesus is taking a nap because um, he's so tired and he obviously can't care. Um, in the back of the boat, and they're like, Jesus, don't you care if we're going to die? And he wakes up, and he says, be still. Calms the storm. They get, they get across the rest of the lake, and they're in awe and wonder of uh, what he did. That's, in a nutshell, that's the, that's the summary of that story and passage. Now, what I think is fascinating is that is actually not the first time that this has happened. And so if you look at Psalm 107, you can look there, you can turn there if you want in your Bibles or on your, on your phone. Otherwise, I'm just going to read um, the pertinent part of this to you. Here's what Psalm 107 says. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Has the Lord redeemed you? Then speak out. Tell others he has redeemed you from your enemies. For he has gathered the exiles from many lands, from east and west, from north and south. And then we skip ahead. There's examples of the, the, um, the different uh, ways and, and means that the Lord has saved these exiles. But in verse 23, it says this. Some went off to sea in ships, plying the trade routes of the world. They too observed the Lord's power in action, his impressive works on the deepest seas. He spoke then the winds rose, stirring up the waves. Their ships were tossed to the heavens and plunged again to the depths. The sailors cringed in terror. They reeled and staggered like drunkards and were at their wits' end. Lord, help, they cried in their trouble. And he saved them from their distress. Is this sounding familiar to anybody? He calmed the storm to a whisper and stilled the waves. What a blessing was that stillness as he brought them safely into harbor. Let them praise the Lord for his great love and for the wonderful things he has done for them. Let them exalt him publicly before the congregation and before the leaders of the nation. That was written hundreds and hundreds of years before the story I just summarized in Matthew 8. That's incredible. It's a shot-for-shot reenactment. Jesus calming the storm is a shot-for-shot reenactment of Psalm 107. 
So what does that mean? Well, storm and water in the ancient times represented chaos, represented disorder. That's echoing back to Genesis 1, when uh, the world was formless and void and the Spirit of God moved over the face of the deep. And so it's not just a literal storm, but there's deeper symbolism here for chaos and lack of control and fear. And a response to that is fear and anxiety. And so Jesus calming the storm. It says he's claiming that identity. Let's go to example two. We'll talk more about unpacking each of these in a second. Example number two, Jesus healing the man with the withered hand. So Jesus is getting taken to task by the religious elite, by the religious leaders for uh, doing stuff that he ought not to do on the Sabbath. And kind of the culmination of that is he goes into a synagogue on the Sabbath and there's a man there with a withered hand. And Jesus knows they're watching him and he tells the man, reach out your hand, stretch out your hand, and the man is healed. And then the Pharisees get bent out of shape because he's working, he's violating the terms of the Sabbath. Here's our Old Testament context for this. 1 Kings chapter 13, verses 1 through, uh, actually 4 through 6. So here's the, here's the context. The kingdom is splitting. This is after King Solomon. The kingdom is splitting into two parts, Israel and Judah, 10 tribes and two tribes. King Jeroboam is leading the northern split, and he's taken up the throne in the northern kingdom, and he set up an alternative site for worship that is not Jerusalem and is not the temple. And so this prophet comes and he delivers a word from the Lord and Jeroboam doesn't like it. And that's where we pick up verse four. When King Jeroboam heard the man of God speaking against the altar at Bethel, his alternate worship site, he pointed at him and shouted, seize that man. But instantly the king's hand become, became paralyzed in that position and he couldn't pull it back. So the king cried out to the man of God, please ask the Lord your God to restore my hand again. And the man of God prayed to the Lord and the king's hand was restored and he could move it again. Once again, eerily similar to the miracle that Jesus performed in the Sabbath in a place of worship. Example number three. Jesus feeding the 5,000 plus. Why do I say 5,000 plus? Because it says it's 5,000 men plus women and children. So that means there was at least double that, maybe triple, depending on how many kids everybody brought with them that day. So it's not even 5,000, maybe 10, maybe 15,000 people. So we all know that story really well too, right? Huge crowd gathers to listen to Jesus preach. At getting toward the end of the day, the disciples are like, Jesus, send these people home so they can go get something to eat. And he's like, no, you feed them. They're like, where are we going to get enough food to feed all these people? And he's like, well, what do you have? And they're like, well, we got five loaves and two fish. And he's like, all right, that'll be enough. And they start handling, handing it out and everybody has enough, right? And then how many baskets left over at the end? Y'all are Bible students, right? Like, Right? 12, Nate Johnson, 12 baskets left over. I know that this is a familiar story. I know you know it. All right, here's our Old Testament story button, traveling back in time to 2 Kings 
chapter 4, verses 42 through 44. One day, a man from somewhere, um, I can't even pronounce that, um, brought the man of God a sack of fresh grain and 20 loaves of barley bread made from the first grain of his harvest. And Elisha said, give it to the people so they can eat. What? His servant exclaimed, feed a hundred people with only this? But Elisha repeated, give it to the people so that they can eat, for this is what the Lord says. Everyone will eat, and there will even be some left over. And when they gave it to the people, there was plenty for all, and some left over, just as the Lord had promised. The parallel there, again, almost a direct quote, one-for-one quote from that story and Jesus feeding the 5,000, 10,000, maybe 15,000 people. And not only that, in the, in the original story, it's 20 loaves to feed 100 people. Jesus takes five and feeds maybe up to 15,000 people. Jesus uses less to feed more. So here we have three examples Three examples of Jesus doing something that has been done already. So the verdict, the survey says, these miracles, these signs of the kingdom are more than just magic tricks. And I know we all knew that already, right? But Jesus isn't just showing off. Just because we're familiar with them, just because we know the stories, just because we've heard them a hundred times, it doesn't mean that they're shallow, that there's nothing, something else going on. Jesus isn't showing off. He's not simply looking to entertain or impress. And in fact, in that second story, he healed people even when he knew someone's going to be angry about it, even when he knew that there would be backlash. So all three of these examples... These are called speech acts, speech acts. The basic concept of a speech act is that actions speak louder than words. So this is Jesus. This is basically the the equivalent of tell me you're the son of God without telling me that you're the son of God, right? Tell me you're the king without telling me you're the king. Jesus says, I'm not going to just tell you that the kingdom is here, which is my mission. I'm also going to show you that the kingdom is here by doing things only God himself can do. In all three of those stories that I read from the Old Testament, the word for Lord, when you see Lord, all caps, you know what that means, right? That's the name of God that you don't even utter, Yahweh that was so precious that they couldn't, even, they couldn't even write it down. So Jesus is claiming that identity. And the significance of each of those instances would have been extremely clear to the original audience. It wouldn't have just been like, oh, that's nice. We got a free lunch. They would have remembered that story and they would have known that the significance of what he was, what he was claiming through doing that specific miracle. These miracles are strategic interventions to show that the kingdom, God's rule, and God's reign is breaking through specifically to reverse the disorder and the dysfunction and the destruction caused by our rebellion and sin. And so Jesus always meets the immediate need, but there is a bigger message in mind. 
And so we see through these, those three examples that I listed, these three miracles, we see that as creator, Jesus brings order out of chaos. And as healer, Jesus brings restoration out of brokenness. And as provider, Jesus brings abundance out of scarcity. So here's where this has landed with me. I want to share what my 2024 has been like uh, up to this point in the year. And I don't know, um, I don't know if it's just because the Lord knew that I needed to preach this message on this day, um, or else he just has like just kind of a twisted sense of humor. But this is, this is how 2024 has gone for me so far, all right? Um, let's talk about chaos. Here's been my chaos. I was driving to work um, Last week, I think that was just last week. It just seems it's all kind of is blurred together. Driving to work last week, I get a call from my wife who is still at home. And she's like, have you guys, are you, have you dropped off? I dropped my sons off at school. She's like, have you dropped off the boys yet? I'm like, no. And she's kind of like, like speaking through her tears. And I'm like, oh no, like who died? Like this doesn't sound good at all. And she's like, okay, you have to turn around and come home right now. And I'm like, what happened? And she's like, I just pulled two lice out of my hair. And I'm like, are you freaking kidding me right now? I'm like, in 2024, lice is still a thing? Like with all of the advancements in technology and like gene splicing and all the like stuff that I'm not smart enough to understand, we have not eradicated lice. So we go home start combing through everyone's hair and find like, she finds more lice in her hair. We find like 20 in, on, in my daughter. So my daughter got out of school, brought it home, shared it with the rest of us, except me. I am not often thankful for the fact that I am follically challenged. But today, that day, I was. I was. I didn't have to do anything. I'm like, I'm good. I'm good. There's a, if that's not a silver lining, I don't know what is. Um, but we spent the rest of the day like tearing our house apart and uh, washing everything and vacuuming everything. And I ran to the drugstore and bought them out of lice killing shampoo. Chaos. Silly example of chaos, but chaos nonetheless. Let me give you a second one. Let me talk to you about um, physical brokenness. So I was sick. Uh, earlier, uh, at end of January, beginning of February, I was sick for like two weeks. And I was actually supposed to speak at the end of January. And I was, I was, I just got completely destroyed by whatever this was. I thought it was just a really bad cold and I tried to rally and I just, I couldn't do it. And um, so like I came back for like Thursday, Friday, like woke up Saturday morning and my tonsils were like the size of hockey pucks. And I tried to like, well, I'm, I'm gonna push through that. I'm gonna go out for coffee with my wife. This is how I ended up by about the middle of the day that Saturday. This is me doing my best, Ron Swanson, trying to come to work and push through um, whatever it was. Probably you have like a 102 fever here at this point. Two hoodies, a hat. I took another pair of pajama pants and like wrapped them around like a scarf. It was awful. It was awful. <clears throat> so got checked out. Doctor's like, yeah, you're probably fine. I'm like, well, I don't feel fine. 
Um, but I came back to work again, get a call that Friday. He's like, yeah, so your long-term uh, throat culture came back. You definitely have group C strep. So you're going to want to get away from everyone. You've been contagious this entire time. And go to, do not pass go, do not collect $200. Go to the drugstore immediately and get on penicillin. Like, full stop. Um, so I did that. Uh, that actually helped, imagine that, and, uh, and I was able to rally, and, and now I'm, I'm okay. Um, but that's, that's, been a lot of, that's been a lot of the year so far. On top of that, let's talk about scarcity and need. So I was driving home from work. Again, I can't even remember, maybe two weeks ago. On the road, all of a sudden there's this big bang, like this huge like clunk underneath my car. And I'm like, what in the world was that? And, but nothing seemed to be like terribly wrong, like nothing was shaking or grinding or making noise or smoke. So I'm like, all right, I'm just gonna keep going home. My wife takes the car out later. She call, comes home immediately. She's like, there's something like clinking, like metal on metal. It sounds really bad. And I don't think it's safe to drive. Come to find out, I've broken a spring in the suspension. Like those are like this big around. I didn't have a picture of it, so I asked AI to generate an image of a car with broken suspension. This is what it came up with. It's only mid to lightly cursed. Um, it wasn't really that bad, but I just thought it was funny, because I'm like, how'd the headlight get on the other side? I don't know, it doesn't make sense. Um, bottom line, that, is, that was an expensive repair that I was not expecting that I was not planning on. <clears throat> and so as these things continue to pile up, we've got a health situation, and then we, and then we uh, have a, uh, an unexpected car repair, like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars. And then, again, like the chaos of having lice in your home. Um, my default reaction, if I'm being completely honest with you, is like, man, I cannot catch a break. And when I would share that, people were like, wow, you can't catch a break this year. I'm like, I know, right? So why is that? Why is that my default reaction? Here's why I think that is. There's a lie that we believe. And we believe it internally because we're fallen human beings. And this is the nature and the basis of all sin of thinking that um, we know better, but then it's reinforced externally in our culture, and this is what the lie, that in order to be happy and content and okay, that we need to be in control. We talked about this yesterday at prayer chapel, that we need to be in control, that we should be in charge of our own destinies, and that in essence, we have to be on the throne of our own lives. And there's kind of a subtle entitlement that kind of creeps in, that starts to tell me that I have a right to a life that is convenient and that is comfortable and that is hassle-free. Now, here's the problem. First of all, that's not true. Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble, right? This life is, life is not easy. It's not always comfortable. Things happen that are unexpected. But when we have that posture, the problem is that my, when I pray from that posture, we've talked about this already this year. When I pray from that posture, my prayers for help, 
They become the equivalent of me asking Jesus to perform a magic trick on my behalf. Jesus, will you magically fix my circumstances so that I can be comfortable again? Will you wave a magic wand and change things so that I can get back to normal? And I think instead, when we encounter chaos and brokenness and need, there's an invitation. We're being issued an invitation from Jesus to be kingdom-minded, to be kingdom-minded so that when we encounter those things, when we encounter chaos and brokenness and need, the question, my default question isn't, why is this happening to me? My default question instead becomes, how does God want to use this situation to further his kingdom? How does he want to use this situation to show his glory? And instead of just, Lord, fix my circumstances, our prayer can be, Lord, fix me. Fix me so that I can trust you and I can be secure whether my circumstances change or not, because we have no control actually over that. So then my 2024 so far, that becomes three invitations for me to trust God more deeply with my family and with my health and with my finances. That becomes three chances for me to not grumble or panic or feel sorry for myself, but instead see the larger picture of what God might be up to. And that's three opportunities for the Lord to shape my character and make me more like Jesus. And that would be my prayer for you as well. So as we think about how to respond, I would say three things. First of all, it's okay to acknowledge your need. We sang about it at the beginning, right? Oh God, my God, I need you. I need you now. Acknowledge your need. So what chaos are you facing what disorder are you encountering right now? What's your area of brokenness? What's your, what's your withered hand in this situation? And what's your need? Where are you, where are you experiencing scarcity? Because I don't think I'm alone in this. I don't think I'm the only one that's encountering these things, as silly as my examples might be. So acknowledge it's okay for us to acknowledge our need. It's good for us to acknowledge our need. But sec and second of all, let's approach God. Let's approach him with it. We approach him humbly, but confidently because he tells us that we can. As a community, let's bring those things to God because he invites us into that in relationship. But finally, when we ask, as, as Darren talked about last week, when we, when we ask and we seek and we knock, Let's ask with a kingdom perspective. Let's not just ask for a magic trick to change our circumstances. Let's ask, Father, show your glory in and through these things. And then we get to look with anticipation for how the intervention of God in this situation can be that speech act, can be that sign of the kingdom breaking through. Because he's still on the move. The kingdom is still expanding, is still moving is still growing. 
And once we do that, I'm fully confident that we can rest in the fact that Jesus can and will bring order to the chaos, that he can restore what's broken, and that he can provide for our needs abundantly beyond what we could even ask or think. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this chance to delve into your word together. I thank you for the reminder, Lord, that you are in the business of moving and working for your kingdom, for your glory, and whatever brings you glory is also really good for us. As members of your kingdom, we don't have to hold on to the control of our own lives. We don't have to be sovereign over the chaos that we face, Lord. We can relinquish and surrender that to you. And we can allow you to be who you say you are and do what you say, what you have done and what you say you will do. And so we thank you for that this morning and we rest in the fact that you are a savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Wouldn't you guys please stand and as we just get into this final song, just reflect on just Dayton's message and just reflect on just where you are in your life and just ask God to come in and surrender to him right now. Any of your worries or your doubts, your anxieties.